Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cars on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! Each episode will invite a special guest to join us on trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Milne. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backlash! He's done it! Our special guest this week is Jim Burke, aka Barca Jim. Welcome, Jim. How are we doing, boys? All right. Very good. Thank you for joining us. Um, so, Jim is a well-known personality on Twitter and has a finger in many pies, including as a supporter and media presenter at West Didsbury Football Club, and as well as hitting the stand-up comedy scene. He's also well known for his love of dogs, his council tea Thursdays, and his <laughs> hatred of beans on a fry-up. Does that about sum you up? I don't know if I'm impressed or depressed <laughs> by that sum up, because it does pretty much nail it, aye? So, the, the magazine we've got for you um, is a shoot magazine from the 8th of March, 1980. So we'll, we'll do, as we always do, start off with the front cover. And we have a picture of Martin Buchan, who seems to be on quite a few of these front covers, of Man United, and he go, he's going up for a header with Kevin Reeves of Norwich City. Now, it looks to me as though Kevin's won the battle to the ball in this one. Um, but it's, you know, your, your classic uh, Admiral kit for both of them, the, the Man United one, and and uh, Norwich as well. So, you know, a couple of classic Admiral ones there. Other stuff on the front page, 20 pence. And in colour, action from England versus the Republic of Ireland. There's also a preview of the European Cup quarterfinals, or the European Cups, because it's more than one. Uh, so it's through the Cup Winners' Cup, the UEFA Cup, and the European Cup. There's a diary of St. Ke Kevin Keegan um, at Southampton. And spend a day with Phil Parks with the first prize in an exciting free entry competition is to spend a day with them at a game. So there's a photograph there of Phil sitting on a bench holding a ball to the floor. And in the bottom corner, the magazine states, the magazine players read and like in capitals. So I'm, I guess they're suggesting that the players do read other ones, but they don't like them that, that much. So, I mean, it's it's your typical um, sort of 70s, eight, early 80s front cover there. Um, lot of action, um, not very much text. So we'll just take a wee look inside, um, pages two and three, and we have Britain and Europe. So Shoot takes a look at next week's vital quarterfinals, first leg ties. And it's the ties are looking at is Nottingham Forest versus BFC Dynamo, which is Berlin, Strasbourg versus Ajax, Celtic versus Real Madrid, and Hamburg versus Hajduk Split. They also look at the Cup Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup games too, as we've said. Uh, Arsenal take on Gothenburg in the Cup Winners' Cup, but there, there's no other British clubs remaining in the UEFA Cup. So there's uh, an article with Laurie Cunningham here, and it says, Confident Cunningham, a real threat to Celtic. 
Now, the main photo is of Laurie Cunningham in his Real Madrid kit. So I'm just going to have a quick, a wee quick profile of Laurie here. So his full name's Lawrence Paul Cunningham. He was born in March 1956 and he sadly died in July 89. There was a car crash in Madrid. He was only age 33. He's from Archway in London. So his teams, he started at Leighton Orient and moved to West Brom. And it was from West Brom that he moved to Real Madrid. And he played at Manchester United in Sporting Sport Hihon on loan. Um, in 1983-1984. He moved to Marseille, Leicester City, Rayo Vallecano, Chalwa. Is that is that the right pronunciation of that? Chalwa. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, we'll, that'll do. Uh, Wimbledon, um, he had a short spell there, and then Rayo Vallecano as well is where he, where he, he was when, when he died in that car crash. He's got six England caps, and he was the son of a Jamaican racehorse jockey. And he was the first British player to play for Real Madrid and scored twice on his debut and also helped them win the League and Cup double in his first season. So quite an impact he made there. And he won the Copa del Rey with them 79-80 that season and 81-82 as well. He also won the, he was also in the FA, the, the FA Cup winners with Wimbledon the 1987-88 as well. So he's, he's, you know, he's been through quite a few clubs and he's got a, a, you know, a couple of good... Um, trophies there and a couple of good um, honours to his name Yeah, I, I remember him as a player but I, I don't think I would have saw the best of him I really remember him playing against Liverpool in the 1981 European Cup final mm-hmm. but he didn't really have a great he didn't really have a great game So you remember him at Real Madrid? I remember him at Real Madrid, yeah mm. but uh, I, I don't think that was probably the only time I can really say I remember seeing him and he didn't particularly have a good game Yeah I think that was sort of as he was on his way out of Real Madrid. Do you remember much of Laurie in, in action, Jim? I remember I was at that game. And uh, as you know me, I've I've got I live my life by completely stupid and arbitrary rules at times, you know. And and believe it or not, this is one of, I, I do remember the game and I remember I remember Cunningham because he was a West Brom play, West Brom and I kinda oh I, West Brom are one of those kind of teams that if they were ever on the telly, I wanted them to win because I think at that time they would be wearing the green, the green strip because that was the kind of the arbitrary way you decided things. Yeah, if yeah. you were watching a game, you would go, "Oh, they look a bit like," or you know, the, the Scotsman playing for them. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I remember him, but that night he was—he never stood out that night. Mm. Um, but I mean, don't get me wrong; everybody talks about that that game, but because of what happened in the second leg. I don't have fond memories of it because for me, for something to count, yeah. you've kind of got to do the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you and I know we've had this conversation before. <laughs> that Archie Gemmell goal, right? I don't I don't acknowledge it because it was a consolation goal in a tournament that frankly destroyed my life. <laughs> so uh, so I don't I don't and, and that we should have gone through. Yeah. And if Celtic had bought the argument I've always had, my father and I said the same thing. If um, we'd bought a boy called Joe McLaughlin for Morton mm-hmm. that season, we would have gone through. We'd have got to the semi-finals that year. Because we played with Aitken and McAdam, eh, no, Aitken, McDonald and McAdam at centre-halves. Yeah. And they they were barely adequate Premier League centre-halves, never mind you know playing against 
a Madrid team with likes of Cunningham and mm. all the rest of it in it, you know? Yeah. So the the article, the other photograph shows Danny McGrain and the, the only way I can describe this is he's weaving past Hibs duo Ali Brazil and Ralph Callaghan. And the article itself, Laurie looks at the upcoming quarterfinal ties between Real and Celtic, which you've just spoken about. And I, I, I really like, um, there's a lot of stuff I like in this um, this article. He says, I think we have a good chance of winning. With all respect to Celtic, my first reaction to the draw was relief that we didn't have to fight it out with Hamburg, Ajax or even Forest. Having said that, we know Celtic aren't going to be a pushover by any means. On playing back in Britain, Laurie says... Some of my teammates will perhaps find it more difficult than I because Spanish and British football are very, very different. Forewarned is forearmed. If anything, I could feel more comfortable against Celtic than I do against some of the Spanish man-to-man marking specialists. So the the interview is taking place in a luxurious lounge of a four-star hotel in Valencia. And it's at this point that his teammate, Angel, who has been eavesdropping on the interview, jumps in. And Angel says, Laurie's right, British players are hard, but they're noble. Hear the defenders cheerfully elbow you or kick you while the ball is up the other end of the pitch. But in Britain, the players tackle hard and low and rarely go over the top. We are a footballing side, so Celtic fans can rest assured that they won't see a repeat performance of the Celtic versus Atletico Madrid battle a few years ago. No, my biggest worry is not being able to understand Scottish accents. Laurie's warned us they don't exactly have his London accent. I, I just love this idea of them sitting there having an interview and the, the, the player just pops in and just says things like this. Um, I mean, the the Atletico thing as well, I mean, that, that was definitely a, a concern, for, you know, wasn't it, from, from way back then? I, I'm guessing you would have been worried that things like that would happen again. Well, I was at that, I mean, again, that Atletico game, I, I was only... I was probably ten or eleven, um, and it was a, a a big treat I got to go to that Atletico game, and I just remember that, that uh, my uncle James, who was the 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 absolute epitome of the man who wouldn't say booty a goose, <laughs> and and he was he was ready for going on the park because <laughs> we'd never seen anything like it. If you, I don't know if you've ever watched it. I mean, it was just it was unbelievable, you know. Um, but that that was that was. History's taught us that was absolutely set up for that. You know, they, they came effectively with a second, you know, it was a reserve team they put out at Celtic mm. on the basis that they could afford to take, they could take the red cards and whatever and then get them back to Madrid and do the job there. Um, you know, we just had a really good game against Real that night. Yeah. Um, but just couldn't, we just didn't have the quality to, to hold it when we went away. Mm. So, Curringham continues and says, I have to own up and say I don't know much about Celtic at all because I've been out of touch since I came to Madrid. Celtic booms a voice with enough decibels to paralyse the conversations in the entire lounge. This is another one where somebody just pops in. So, Real's manager, Vujedin Boskov, um, takes a seat at the table. So, I love this idea that people just inserting themselves into the interview. So the, the Boskov says, we've had them looked at and they're not a bad side at all. We should beat them, but I stress they're not a bad side. Players that have impressed the Real scouting team include David Proven, George McCluskey and Bobby Lennox. And Boskov says, and they've got a good fullback, he adds, stabbing a finger meaningfully at Laurie, called McGrain. Laurie agrees with his boss and adds, yes, he's good. 
It should be quite a battle. We'll see how much space he gives me at Parkhead next week. So, yeah, a spoiler. Uh, Celtic won that, that game at Parkhead 2-0, but lost 3-0 on the return leg. Um, now, actually, I, I watched the, the highlights of the return leg, and the, there was um, one of the goals which Laurie Cunningham set up from a corner, and he actually sent the corner in with the outside of his foot, which is, you know, really unusual to see that. I think it was from the right-hand side, so had... It would have been yeah he would have put it in with a right a right foot but the outside of it and it was just really unusual to see that um, but I'm guessing that would have been a, a real disappointment as you say Jim it, it, it was because you get you know the 2-0 two 2-0 two was meant to be the, the ideal scoreline you know and and we even even then we had a team that could nick a goal away from home do you know what I mean hmm. you know um but we just never, the defence just wasn't good enough. I, mean, I think in the first leg, it was Alan Sneddon that was, I don't know if he played at full back in the second leg, um, but, you know, Sneddon, McDonald and McAdam, you know, that, that those yeah. are not three names that are going to go down in the in Scott, in Celtic's yeah. history as being their top good club servants but if you're going to beat Real Madrid you wouldn't expect those are three names that are going to be in the team that does it <laughs> no, <laughs> so, no absolutely not yeah. no absolutely not so in, in terms of the, the second leg I don't know if you admit was there a confidence going into that or was there a sort of in the back of your mind thinking listen you know oh, you're going to Madrid to play Real Madrid I mean I, I remember being having a degree of confidence I remember that I thought, you know, we, we can we can hold out and we could nick a goal. Yeah. But things that haven't changed, and it's not just Celtic, it's Scottish Scottish club teams and Scottish national team, you just know that once the first goal goes in, you know, once the first goal goes in, you know, right, we, we're just going to collapse here. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think I listened to it. Well, I don't think it was live. I must have listened to it in the radio. Um, but I'm just actually checking to see when the goals went in because I think... It was, uh, it was, it was kind of curtains fairly on. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you just know Celtic, Celtic, we were, we're never going to hold. Yeah. Once one went in, you just get that feeling, right? That's it. It's curtains. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll move on to page four. So this is a competition that was um, spoke about on the the front page. So it's spend a match day with Phil Parks, first prize in an exciting free entry competition. 25 pairs of Phil Parts goalkeeping gloves by Sukan Sports for the runners-up. Now, we spoke about Sukan Sports before. It's a well-known company in goalkeeping circles and was formed in 1979 by then-QPR keeper Phil Parks and Dave Holmes. They became the official distributor of Ulsport gloves in the UK. Um, so they, they are well-known in the, the goalkeeping um, fraternity. So the winner will meet the world's most expensive goalkeeper on a match day at West Ham. He'll be introduced to other players, be shown around the ground and see the game from a seat in the stand. And they say it's a chance of a lifetime. So you have to answer three questions. The first question is, with which club did he begin his football career? Phil Parks. The answer, Walsall. Of course, everybody knows that, don't they? Um, <laughs> question two. Question two for me is a wee bit cheeky. They say, did he join QPR for 15000 25000 or 35000 in the summer of 69, 70 or 71? And that sounds like two questions to me. It does indeed. So, 
there's four questions you really have to answer. <laughs> um, it was uh, 15,000 in 1970. And the third question is, Phil made his full England debut in April 1974 against Poland, Portugal or Peru? And the answer was Portugal. Now, the cap against Portugal was his only one. He was to make. He was to make a second against Wales, where Don Revy had promised he would play the second half of the game. But with the game nil-nil at half time, Revy decided against the change and decided to leave Ray Clemens on. Parks went home after the game in a huff and told his wife he'd never make himself available for England again. So I don't know. If, you know, there was a lot of good England goalkeepers about at the time and I don't know if he really would have got much of a, a look in if being perfectly honest but um, yeah. you know he's, he's made the choice so page 6 ad, another advert so soccer films 8mm home movies again we've looked at this a few times but I think it's always worth looking at now this one says now available on pre-recorded video cassettes and it says VHS for £25.50. Beta Max for £25.50. And it Jeez. says VCR, £40.25. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what VCR is, because for me, I thought they were interchangeable, the VHS and VCR, unless VCR is the machine. But I would have expected to pay a lot more than £40.25. But you yeah. just think, a single tape for £25... That, that was just my, that was my weekly wage. I, I well, <laughs> just shy of it. Seriously, was nineteen eighty. I did uh, I worked in in nail work. Yeah. During the summer, and I was in th- I got thirty pound for a week's work. <laughs> Bloody. <laughs> <hell>. <laughs> if you were to pick, if you were to pick one VHS, Jim, what would it be? <laughs> David does Dallas. <laughs> football. Right. Oh, football. I'm just looking at the. I'm just looking at the uh, what the options were in that one. Yeah. And obviously it's uh, the 67 Euro- the European Cup final yeah, for yeah. me. But um, but also I can't believe they've got to go back to my favourite for a for a cool 35 pounds. You can get the 1978 Scotland three, <laughs> Holland two. Yeah, which would be more than a week's wage, <laughs> and it also has sound. Yeah, well, listen, you would just buy that just to burn it or something. I'm guessing. <laughs> you know, so. Oh God, I'd like. And also, I noticed as well that they sold albums. Yeah, the LPs with radio commentary, three pound fifteen each. That's pretty decent. Aye. Well, certainly. I mean, if you think about it, the magazine was twenty twenty pence. Was it or thirty pence? It was twenty pence. So I mean, if you sort of think it that way, I mean, it's still pretty hefty for that but compared to 25 I mean you can buy a silent movie projector for less than you can buy a VHS tape so £22.50 for a 200 foot real silent uh, movie black and white can I tell you though oh. that, again that silent movie projector my brother-in-law bought one right, right? and that that picture there it's probably about actual size, <laughs> right? Seriously, you you could uh, it was not it was not a projector that you would expect. If you wanted something the same size as the screen of an iPad, yeah, then that was fine. It was an absolute rip off. My brother-in-law <laughs> bought one. They bought one of those kits that you got the you know, you got the camera. Yeah, and the projector or whatever, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got absolutely stitched up with that. I'll tell you that for now. Tell me that's actually quite quite good because, as I say, we've looked at them a few times, and I just assumed they would be standard size. You know, something <laughs> that could put a big. But yeah, 
So the, they've got well, a they've got a sound projector at one hundred and twenty nine pound ninety five as well. So, um, and it, for the the four hundred foot real silent projectors fifty five pounds. So it's double the price for the four hundred foot black and white one. And the hanging screen seven pound extra, which seems relatively cheap for compared to the price of everything else. I think that might just be a blanket on a stick, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's apply your own stick, I think, for that. Yeah. On to pages eight and nine. So this is a news desk, which I always like, because these are little snippets, little stories and stuff, and sometimes you get some crackers in here. So this is compiled by Bill Day. The first one we're looking at is Dumbarton's new stand. So it says, Dumbarton have opened a new 300-seat stand it's part of the £200,000 facelift at Boghead. Is that you just falling there by any chance? Is that you? Um, Berwick Rangers are also to provide seating in the covered enclosure at Shyfield Park. Um, now, Dumbarton sold Graham Sharp to Everton later this year uh, for £150,000. So, you know, they, they also... Okay, in '76 they sold Ian Wallace for seventy thousand, and '78 they sold Murdo McLeod to Celtic for a hundred thousand. So they were getting some decent fees. So I'm just wondering, do we think they ever did get a two hundred thousand pound? You, you, you would know Tom because um, Clyde Bank played there. Um, I never got to see uh, him. Many there. years later. So was there any evidence of a facelift? A facelift at Boghead? I don't think ever. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, yeah. So £200,000, and to be honest, I think I've seen this this sort of thing a couple of times through through a couple of years in articles, so whether there was something to it or whether there was something potentially to yeah, it. Yeah, they done 30 grand's worth of work and claimed it was a £200,000 facelift. Well, this is, is like, this is like the back in 78 or something where Clyde Bank apparently spent £10,000 on a computer to do the accounts. <laughs> <laughs> in, in 1978, 10, 000, that could send, that that would send a rocket to Mars, for goodness sake. <laughs> so, next article I'm going to look at is Another Chapman, is the title. And it's the next son of a footballing father to hit the headlines, could be 19-year-old Lee Chapman, the Stoke City striker whose dad, Roy, played for Aston Villa, Lincoln, Mansfield and Port Vale. Stoke manager Alan Durbin said, Lee came to us as a mature schoolboy. Last year, he could run a lot but not score. This season, including reserve games, he's averaged a goal every other game. He's improving every month now. Now, his father, Roy, netted over 200 goals in his 17-year career. And he said, I'd like to see a little more determination in Lee's play. Still, this will come with experience. Now, a little spoiler on Lee would go on to play 575 league games, scoring 202 goals. Um, he scored more than 250 goals in all competitions in a career that spanned nearly 20 years. Um, Arsenal, Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest, Leeds United, West Ham, Ipswich Town, amongst others. He was capped at under-21 level and England B team level. He was never capped at full full level. Um, he won the League Cup in 88-89 with Forest. And he won the first division in 91-92 with Leeds United. Also won in the second division the year before that. Now that was something I, I don't know that I was aware of, that Leeds United come straight up and won the yeah, first yeah. division. So they won the second division and then they came straight up and won it. I don't know if I was quite aware of that. And they went on to win the, the Charity Shield in 92 as well. Yeah, I mean, Lee, 
Lee Chapman is certainly a name that we're, we're all we're all aware of. So he certainly went on to you know have a pretty good career there. This next one, Dirty Barnsley. Um, this one's got a photograph with it. So Barnsley manager Alan Clark took his first team squad down Woolly Colliery near Barnsley to show them how hard some of their supporters work. Now, the article shows a photo of a suit-faced suit miner pointing something out to Alan and coach Barry Murphy, complete with the miner's helmet and torch. Now, Barry, along with teenager David Speedy, who was also on the trip, were both miners before turning pro. Um, I love that idea of, I'll take you down, down, we'll show them how real people, the supporters, really work. So I wonder if they took anything from it. I'm sure somebody else did the same. I'm trying to think, was it Clough? Certainly one of the other managers did that, kind of took took the players to, you know, say, look, this is what this is what these guys have got to do to get money to come and see you on a Saturday. I'm trying to think if it was Clough that did it. I like that idea. Um, the next one, oddest booking. So the oddest booking of this season must surely be that of George Fairley, the Whitburn defender. In a Scottish junior game against Linlithgow Rose, he was booked for throwing a snowball at a Rose player. Jim Jim Harking slide tackled Fairley into a bank of snow. After brushing himself <laughs> down, Fairley made a snowball and threw it at Harkins. Only <laughs> see yellow. I've, I uh, doing a wee bit of research. I found George Fairley on on Facebook. Yeah, he's uh, he's on the the Whitburn Juniors page. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he played more than five hundred and twenty games. For Whitburn. All right, so he's he's must be a bit of a legend there. I think so. Uh, you would imagine so. Did you manage to chat to him at all? Uh, no, well, I only just discovered him a few minutes before we went ah, right. on air. So maybe maybe we'll try and we'll do a wee follow up. Yeah, message him with a mm-hmm. with a cutting. See if he's if he's got a, a a memory of the incident. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is Leeds Warn Hooligans. Uh, so the article is a photograph of someone holding a letter in front of the Leeds United crowd with warning in large letters. The club have issued the leaflets with the warning that the cop end of the ground will be closed if objects are thrown onto the pitch. And the letter says, Unfortunately, due to a small minority amongst you, we are compelled to take the following action in an effort to stop objects from being thrown at matches. Should any object whatsoever be found on the pitch at a match, we shall automatically close the cop for the following game. No person will be admitted to this section of the ground. If the lesson has not been learned, then the event of a repeat, the cop will be closed for the following two games and so on until normality is restored. The future of the cop is now in your hands. Now, I, I, I did look into this. There weren't any firm details that could be found about the closures other than they did happen on more than, more than one occasion by all accounts as well. Um, does anybody have any r- recollections of this happening at Leeds United? And... I just think of that that time, surely, was it? No, it was kind of endemic in every. Yeah. Because that, that was, was that kind of time would be when the kind of real raw football violence was probably at its peak, mm. if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. Because Celtic went down to Burnley, I think, was at 79, and there was riots, and Rangers were down, and there was. Uh, just everywhere, just it was just part and parcel of the what we now call the match day experience. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, something that I don't know if either of you use it. Cop. What does cop actually mean? 
was a it's a it's a hill it's a hill in the it comes from the Boer War. Right. Yeah. Spion Cop, I think it's called. And it's a it was a hill and I think it just became kind of because of uh, there's there was a cop, obviously the famous cop at Anfield. Yeah. There's one at Leeds, I think Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United is also known as a cop. Mm-hmm. It's a, it was just a kind of standard, you know, um I think it was always behind the goal as well. Yeah. Which is always a kind of funny way to separate clubs as to where did the nutters go? Did the nutters go side on or behind the goals? It changes from club to club. Yeah. Matt Lawson did a did a wee did a wee video, uh, which you can find online about uh, about the the Liverpool the cop at Anfield. I remember it being on during the World Cup. I was on during the World Cup in twenty ten. You can find it online. Yeah, you've always got to put the year of the World Cup when you're talking about World Cups in front of Jim. <laughs> no, no, let's let's not get unpleasant now, okay? I can't help myself, so sorry. <laughs> 78. Oh my god. <laughs> you said it. Um right, swiftly moving on. Um yes. so we're on page ten now. So this is you know, again, and I keep mentioning this, especially about um sort of mid the eighties backwards, the amount of Scottish content in these magazines is just you know, it's it's quite incredible. Um, we're only on page ten, and we've we've got through quite a lot. Whether there has been a lot of Scottish content, and it's going to continue here. So, Cannonball Stewart. This is about Ray Stewart of West Ham United. So the the article says Ray Stewart was hardly a household name when West Ham splashed out four hundred thousand pound to sign him from Dundee United last August, but it's a name on a lot of people's lips now. His cannonball shooting, especially from the penalty spot. Back memories, bring back memories of club legend Jeff Hurst. Like most Scottish footballers, 20-year-old Stuart always had ambitions of playing down south. On his move to West Ham, he says, I don't know a lot about the players or staff at West Ham, but the club's reputation was well known to me. They have always been regarded as a club who stand for all that's good in the game and insist on quality football, and that was good enough for me. And he says, I'm not worried about winning the second division championship. It'd be nice to do that, but filling one of the top three places is all that matters. My favourites for promotion, apart from West Ham or Newcastle. They're the team who's impressed me the most. Another team that he mentions who have caught his eye are Watford. At this point, he has won seven under-21 caps, and the way things are going for him uh, will not be long before Jock Steen elevates him to the senior squad. So... If we just remember that who he's picked for, um, so Newcastle and Watford and themselves, he's he's been um, you know picking them for maybe going up. So we'll have a look. West Ham finished seventh. Uh, Leicester City, Sunderland, and Birmingham were all promoted. Newcastle finished. Well, I've got seventh here, but it's below that as well. So Newcastle didn't finish too high either. Watford finished eighteenth. So he wasn't very good at um, guessing which teams were going to go up that year. But actually, that was a year West Ham won the FA Cup that season. They beat Arsenal 1-0 in the final thanks to a Trevor Brooking goal, and that remains the last time a team outside the top flight has won the FA Cup. So, you know, it wasn't a great season by any means, apart from they won the FA Cup. So I think most teams would take that, wouldn't they? I think even some, you know, most teams would take winning an FA Cup and being relegated if that was a choice. But... So, Paul Stu- Paul, uh, Ray Stewart, sorry, Ray Stewart, the, the mentions about him being a penalty 
uh, kick taker as well, and that that's something that that um, sticks in my mind as well. That he yeah. was good. Yes, I remember. I remember the penalty took in the League Cup final against Liverpool. So can we can we turn to can we turn to Jim for a second? Of course, we can. Yep. So, Jim, Andy said in his introduction that you've been recently trying your hand at stand up. Can you tell us a wee bit about that? I um, it's been something I thought about doing for a while, and then uh, I was over in Barcelona in September. I was out for a pint with my mate Paul, and he said, "Oh, there's a comedy club on a Monday night, or Sunday night." He said, "I can get you." A wee, a wee spot on it if you fancy it and I thought well that's perfect because if you die in your arse over there then <laughs> nobody knows you know Yeah. and then uh, I've started and then it went really well and touch wood um, it's been going really well and it's it's been frustrating because I, I moved up to Leeds um, just um, before Christmas and I was just starting to get to know a few people in the circuit up here and Starting to get a gigs here and there and and, and whatever and then obviously the event the events the last couple of weeks have just completely wiped yeah. everything out so it's just gonna wait just waiting for it all to start up again but it's great fun yeah. it's a it's a hell of a buzz when people laugh yeah less so when they don't <laughs> mm-hmm. to be I, I was I was going to because I I'm I work in Leeds and live near here as well and I was going to come to one of your gigs um, when I think it was a Sunday night or something but I just couldn't I couldn't make it. I'll definitely, once this madness ends, I'll definitely make my, make sure I come in. Good man. Watch I noticed you'd, you'd be slow at supporting JB Barrington. How was that? No, I've I've done that. Well, actually, that was the very, very first gig I did. That was last oh, year. Wow, really? Um, he asked me to do the compare, and I did right. a compare on a show in Salford, and then he booked, he asked me to do it again. Um, he put, it, was, it, was a, uh, it was meant to be in May, um, with another three poets, and unfortunately, that's we've had to cancel that. But it's been rearranged for November. But the brilliant thing about that one was that that sold out in about yeah. two weeks. Mm. Um, and I was going to love it because JB is just he's 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 no right in the head, the boy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He really isn't right in the head. But his poetry is fantastic. It's just got and and if you've never seen him live you'll laugh more at him than you would at a lot of stand-ups because he's yeah, yeah. he's between he's between poem patter is is brilliant as well. Yeah. And was was, was uh, Jim Heigl on that bill as well? Yes, Jim. Now Jim Jim, I love Jim to bits because normally when you describe somebody as a force of nature, right? We all know what that normally means. That normally means a pest <laughs> or an annoyance, right? When you describe somebody like that. He is a force of nature, but he's brilliant. And he's another, uh, you know, super energetic kind of yeah, um, I've seen him poet like, yeah. and, and brilliant guy as well. Listen, this this is a, a way as well. It's a great um, place to, to do the, the focus on. So, you know, you're well aware of the, the players doing their focus on. So what we're going to do, Jim, is we're going to focus on you for this. So there's a bunch of questions right. here. You can choose to answer them or not, but, you know, most of them are <laughs> pretty fine. So full name? James Burke. Birthplace? Lennoxton, Scotland. Okay. First car? F- Ford Escort. Okay. Who's your favourite player? I think I know the answer to this one. Tommy Burns. Tommy Burns. I, I knew that one. Favourite team? <laughs> 
Celtic. What's your most memorable match? It's an absolute, it's a photo finish between the game that stopped to 10 against St. Johnson and the Scottish Cup, Centenary Cup final in 88. Just because of the, the, the historical significance of both of them mm-hmm. and where it sits in the where it sits in the history, you know. If you had to choose one. I think stopping the ten because I've had a season <laughs> ticket for every one of their nine. <laughs> so yeah. I was okay. I was reckless as I was ready for it. <laughs> you know I mean I was ready for yeah, it. We'll take that one. And um, what's your biggest thrill? Um That's a, that's a real toughie. That's a real toughie. I think it was going to Seville. Because mm-hmm. I went across to the game. I think just the, everything that was involved with that, that was that was an incredible time to be a, a Celtic supporter, you know, because it, it was just mental. Yeah. It was great. Okay, and on that, what's your biggest disappointment? Biggest disappointment is the 1994 League Cup final. Um, and that has no peer in my book, just because, as I say, it came pretty much right in the middle of Rangers domination, and it was just that kind of feeling that we would never win anything again. Mm. Which, again, for supporters of other clubs, are going well. Uh, try you know, <laughs> try supporting yeah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But you know the drill. You're both Scottish guys. You know that if you if you support either side of the old firm, there's a you you expect that you never go more than a season without winning anything, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. So, you know that it, it's just all about expectations, and and that, and in particular in that one, you know, and in the the manner we did it, and the player that missed it, you know, in mixed state, I just I just felt we were never going to win anything, never again. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I can guess this next one, but let's have, give it a go. The best country you visited. Ah, it's, it's it's Spain in it, Spain, <laughs> yeah, um, and then Barcelona. That's it's uh, funny. We we're just joking there, um, putting my lottery ticket on there. And don't get me wrong, there's never a bad time to win the lottery. But mm. could you imagine yeah. if your numbers came up <laughs> now? You're going, I can't do anything. <laughs> can't it... fly anywhere. I can't. It's, it's not the person coming to the front door with the the big cheque. Will you be able to? You know, you'd have to just stand there showing you it from a distance. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd quite happily like... take it in any situation, if I'm being honest. So, um, just on it, when did you first go out? And was it Barcelona you went to and stayed there, or were you in other places in Spain? Yes, yeah, no, just, just Barcelona. Um, Max and I went out there, and, and there had been a, a lot of turmoil in our personal lives over the two years prior to that. And uh, we just thought to ourselves, look, you know, we didn't have kids, and we thought, we just went and immediately fell in love with the city, mm-hmm. and thought, you know, I was I was forty at the time, and thought, why I not? And uh, was out there for ten years, and it was fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic. So, would you would you go back in a heartbeat? Life has moved on. Life has moved on, but I if if. if if the if the numbers came up, I, I would I could I could happily see myself, um, I could happily see myself back there because it's incredible city, inc- lovely pace of life, and you've got everything you expect from a city, 
and then you've got the the beach and the sea and whatever, mm-hmm. and just that. It's a fantastic site. Yeah. Fantastic site. Okay. So this next one, I don't want the answer is hula hoops. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> what's your favourite food? Oh, it's got to be a curry. Yeah. It's the one I think it's the one I could eat six six nights out of seven. What, what is it you call you call it the thing me and rice and. Racing three is it? Oh, racing three. Yeah. Aye, racing. If I had that for my tea tonight, I tell you, what, every, every time I see that, every, every time I see that, I think I'm just going to go over there for that. That just looks, it looks Aye. so brilliant. Look, because you know, you, you seem to normally have it before a, before you go to watch a football or something like that, and it just seems like a Aye. great way to stack up before the game. It's a, it's not. It's and also there's a few places in Manchester City Centre do it as well. And it seems to be a particularly Manchester thing, and that. I don't know why it's not caught on properly anywhere else because mm. I think in the place I go to the Chapati Cafe it was I think it was like seven quid and it was three nice three different curries, chapati and a and rice. Yeah. And absolutely delicious as well. Nice wee mix of them. So oh I oh, that's it's a uh, it's definitely if you're in Manchester and again I don't know why it's never caught on up here. Although um is it Manjit's kitchen? And yeah, yeah, the yeah. corn exchange, mm-hmm. they do something very similar. Okay. So miscellaneous likes. So give me two things that you like doing. I think arsing about on Twitter's got to be <laughs> up there with one of them. And uh, the other one, believe it or not, I actually enjoy cooking. And it's one of the things I'm going to try and get myself back into during this unpleasantness. Yeah. I well, do enjoy cooking. I think it's one of the things I've been thinking about is that you know, hopefully it will encourage people to learn to cook, you know, rather than just, you know, getting stuff ready-made or ordered in, you know, just make things. But who knows, who knows? If, if they do, then... Have you ever seen, just on a wee plug here, and uh, it's a book I've... Have you ever seen the book Take Away Secret? Right, it's a brilliant wee story. It was a, I got it first hear about it when I was on one of the Celtic forums. It's a boy, Kenny... I can't remember his name. If you Google it, and what it was, he had mental health issues and I think it was agoraphobia I got. So what he then did was he focused all his time on trying to recreate the taste of takeaway food at home. And then he got, don't get me wrong, he got obsessive about it and then he started getting helped out by Indian restaurant guys, Chinese restaurant guys and different things. And his recipes for, I've done the Donner Kebab, and it's a mag- it's magnificent, even the sauces and all that. I, seriously, look out on look. Have a wee look for it on uh, uh, Kenny, Kenny McGovern. Kenny McGovern, that's the man. It's a brilliant wee story as well. You know, it's a lovely wee story. Has you got? Have you got an egg fried rice in that? Because I mean, I do a good egg fried oh, oh, rice. Yes. but You know, it's not the same as at the at the restaurants. The secret is you 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 fry it when it's cold. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's listen, the secret, listen, listen. I'm. Don't dish my egg fried rice. You know? <laughs> I just, I just think that you know it could be better. That's all I'm saying. Right, okay, so did we did we get two likes? So what likes did we get there? Twitter and cooking, brilliant. So on the flip side, miscellaneous dislikes. What two things drive you up the wall? That this could be an easy question. This huh? Twitter again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. I could die. Twitter, Twitter and cooking does, does work for both. Twitter and Tories, I think that's the two. We'll <laughs> <laughs> keep it the two TV right, shows. Okay. <laughs> right, so what's your favourite TV show of all time? Probably Sopranos. 
it's a bit it's a bit kind of he would say that but I think it's the Sopranos that's a good shout I'm, I'm alright with that what's your favourite singers still The Clash I, I'm yeah, don't get me wrong The Clash I, I'm not one of these that, that worships everything they ever did because they did some of the worst music ever committed to vinyl as well <laughs> when they were all bang on the gear yeah. but in terms of where they sat in my life at the time they arrived, and because I, I was the perfect age for it. Do you know what I mean? I was fourteen and full of anger anyway. Yeah. And guess what? Punk arrived. You know, and it was just right place, right time stuff. Mm. You know. So it's it's got. I think it was as much that as much as the effect it had on you, just the music. But I ah, still the Clash. The clash. Okay. Who's your favourite actor or actors? Oh, take two. Um, probably Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Modern kind of times now. De Niro pre-2000. Because I don't think... I think if you look on IMDb, I don't think he's been in a good film since about 1998. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's a struggle, certainly, to think of good performances since... Yeah. Who's your best friend? Uh, my mate Brian. As big a blue nose as you're ever likely to meet as well. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, an absolute wonderful genuine beautiful human being yeah. so uh, he's uh, he's struggling the now just because he's got an old his dad doesn't keep the best of health his mum yeah. doesn't keep his best of health and he's he's actually in the, the, the football memorabilia game as well okay so of course he can't he, he can't do any of that because because he's one of the few guys that actually genuinely gets the actual players to sign stuff as opposed to yeah you know yeah, yeah. The, the, the hooky stuff that you see on there. But of course, you know, he had all these signings and everything lined up. And lo and behold, you know, obviously every every football club's in lockdown as well. Mm-hmm. And not only that, people understandably, you know, that they're no buying. You know, the luxuries are going out the window at the moment because just nobody, yeah, everybody's scared to spend their money as well. Absolutely. So who's been the biggest influence on you? It's a very difficult question, and it's my father, but not for the reasons that that everybody would. You know, it's not been the when growing up he was my hero. Yeah. Growing up, I couldn't stand the sight of him, <laughs> but when I got older and, and and got a wee bit of distance and a bit of perspective, I just realised that, that in what ways he had he had shaped my outlook on on life and the person I was, but. When you're young and stupid, you don't realise any of that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think Barack Obama, probably. Just because, right, mate, how did that all go down? Do you know what I mean? How did a black guy get the job? You know, yeah, just yeah. talk me through that, you know? It's, I, I think I. And he just seems like a thoroughly good human being as well. Mm-hmm. Does he follow you on Twitter? Because he follows a lot of people, and I, I take a bit of numbers. I follow him, but he doesn't follow me. <laughs> he follows like four hundred thousand people. <laughs> like, I think on. he followed my old account, the one that got barred for calling Nigel Slater's different, the horrible things. Yeah, one of many. <laughs> how, how many accounts are you on now? I'm Barca Gym three, which uh, one one went down in a blaze of glory. Two. 
I just kind of <laughs> slipped quietly into the night. But three, because of my use of asterisks, yep. a redacted word asterisks, I have touch wood. Um, I'm still there. But asking a Scottish person not to use that word is yeah. it's, it's difficult. Well, especially with so many of them out there. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. But also good ones as well. That's the thing. <laughs> aye, You're trying aye. to explain to people that it can actually be a con. Because I'm doing, a, I've been writing some stand-up stuff, and I was one of the things as well about the alternative Scottish, like Scotland, ever get independence, that we would use that as our honour system. <laughs> that you would have the sound redacted word, good redacted word, yeah. and then the equivalent of the knighthood would be the. Right, good, <laughs> redacted word, you know? So the, the RGC. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Brilliant. So that, that's the end of the, the, the focus on. So we're going to take a look at our, our sponsor, CelticMatchDay.com. Um, so that CelticMatchDay.com uh, scan in uh, Celtic programmes, uh, home and away, and make them available for you to view online. And it's a full programmes as well. So if you go to CelticMatchDay.com, you have an option, there's an archive link there and it has a drop down list of all the different years that they have programmes for and it keeps getting added to as time goes on. So we're going to have a look at 1990. So select 1990 and then the 3rd of February 1990. So this is the Dens Review. Have you got that open Tom? Dens Review I have, yes. Okay, so this is the B&Q Premier Division, Dundee versus Celtic, Saturday the 3rd of February with a kick-off time of 3pm and a price of £1. And we've got the match sponsor Radio Tay and the B&Q League as it was then. So first page in, we've got the match ball sponsors, St Andrew's Old Course Hotel is in there. Uh, there's a couple for St Andrews Old Course Hotel, Dunfermline Insurance Consultants. We've got today's mascot, Stephen Ferry. Where are you now, Stephen Ferry? Favourite player, Joe McBride. Score guest, 2-1-2 two, two Dundee he's gone for. Uh, so next up is the chairman's message and comments, Angus Cook, chairman at the time. And we're on further in. We've got a few local, or a local printers, I'm guessing that one is, for an advert. Gordon Wallace was the manager at the time, so we've got the manager's view. And then we've got some action photographs against Hibs as well. Um, just looking through it, it's a lot of the text and stuff's in black and white with the occasional splash of blue, obviously for the Dundee um, element of things. And then we've got a couple of pages devoted to Celtic, our visitors. We've got Paul McStay and Chris Morris in there. And it wouldn't be... Uh, match programme without there being a 80 shilling ale from Tenants advert in it as well anything you'd like to pick out from it Tom? Uh, well there's that wee advert for uh, trim, trim line for a lifetime of health and fitness uh, lose pounds for no pounds train with the Dundee FC players right. so it's maybe that they don't recall gyms being big big business to be advertised uh, about then it was more pubs and nightclubs. So further in, we've got Mary Lee Motors, and it's John Blackley and Mary Lee Motors, a winning combination. So John Black, Blackley, again, signs up signs up for a new Volkswagen Jetta from the leading team at Mary Lee Motors. And that, that that's actually in colour, so they must have paid quite a bit for that advert, I'm guessing. There's an advert for the Nelson Pub. Visit mine host, Bobby Glennie, mm-hmm. former Dundee goalkeeper. Yeah. 
looks quite a quite a very low resolution photograph of Bobby obviously behind oh, the bar there as well belter than an advert there Nova phone <laughs> yeah. it's Kenny Dalglish sitting on what appears to be a car phone mm-hmm. a, a gigantic phone with a cord unbeatable hope, car yeah. phone some 99 pounds plus VAT considering he's both on the phone driving with one hand and looking at the camera <laughs> I hope he's parked up for this as well so there we go, this is CelticMatchDay.com, uh, loads of time you can spend there. As we always say, it's not just for Celtic fans to look through, this example being, you know, if you're a Dundee fan, you could look through these sort of programmes as well. So go on to them at Celtic underscore Matchday on Twitter and CelticMatchDay.com website. Have a look, give them some support, CelticMatchDay.com. So we'll just jump back into the the magazine, and we're on. We're still on page ten, but we're going to have a look at the "You Are the Ref" because these always bring up a couple of good ones. So number two is a forward shoots at goal, but a defender has no time to avoid the ball. He instinct instinctively protects himself, but the ball strikes his hand. Should you a award a penalty or b play on? And remember, this is based on back then because. This is quite recent, isn't it? So the answer is B, play on. It says it is important that the referee is satisfied that the de- defending player had no intention to handle the ball. So it's it's always been a... <laughs> see, I've always, I've always had this problem with the word intention. You know, the intent to do it. Because apart from Anton Rogan and a few other people, <laughs> you know, people don't go out to it handle a ball you know even even if they spread themselves they're not saying I want to handle the ball they're just spreading themselves for whatever reason well you know to to block the ball but it's not they're not saying I'm going to handle the ball so the, the, I, I don't see how you can ever plus intent is in the mind how, how can you ever you know yeah that that annoys me obviously number three a linesman signal, signals the outside right who's near the touchline is offside when the ball was passed to the outside left. Should you ignore the signal? Yes, it says. It just says yes, which threw me a little bit. So I, I didn't think back. I thought back then it might have just been a... I mean, because it, so, it sounds like no, because he's not interfering with play, but was that a thing back then? So he's in an offside position, but he's on the other side of the park from where the yeah. action is. And that sounds like the rule, which we have now, which is... No, I, I must say I don't. I don't recall the interfering replay. Although I read a there was a quote, and again it may have been Clough recently, which which said about if if my player isn't you know if any of my players aren't interfering replay, don't expect to get paid or something like that because they should yeah. always be interfering replay. You know, yeah. so it must have been a thing back then. But I'm the same as yourself. I don't. I don't recall it. My my memory is again 1981 League Cup final with Liverpool and West Ham. I have a recollection of Sammy Lee was lying down injured. Uh, now, I can't remember if the goal was disallowed, but there, there, was, there was a debate about whether he was interfering with play at the time. Mm. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was something really at that time about uh, he shouldn't be playing if he's if he wasn't interfering with play kind of thing. <laughs> he shouldn't be on the pitch if you're not interfering with play. But, but I do remember that phrase at that time because there was, there was a goal scored where he was lying sort of prostrate and there was a, an argument about whether he was interfering with play or not. Mm. So so if, if we were a bit confused by that, number four, 
prepare to be blown away. A player miskicks a corner and the ball rolls a few inches. He then picks it up to take another kick. Should you award a free kick for handball or have the player retake the kick? The answer is B, retake the kick. Mm-hmm. The ball's got to go at circumference, that's it. Yeah, but it, it's not, I mean, saying a few inches, a few inches could be, it's, you know, it's not saying it's it's not rolled a full a full circumference of the ball. A few inches is could be three, four inches and that is going to be the whole ball, isn't it? Well, I think there's a circumference the point that uh, Jim was was making because I've done a wee bit of research here on a ref chat website, uh, and uh, th- there's there's a quote there from Brian Clough: "If a player of mine is in the penalty area and he's not interfering with play, I want to know the reason why." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Okay, so we're on page twelve here, Alan Ball, and it's just um, you know pretty basic: the Admiral Southampton strip. Uh, black shorts, red socks. There's a bit of a sock tape thing going on as well, but I think that's just a tie-up. And he's wearing the black Adidas boots as well. Uh, on the next page, it's Super Forest. So this is a there's a couple of colour photographs from the Nottingham Forest Super Cup games against Barcelona. And the first photo shows Charlie George scoring at the City Ground, but he's almost he's mostly obscured by a, Bo- a Barcelona defender. But the keeper can only look on as the ball sails into the net. The second photo shows Kenny Burns bulleting in a header in the 1-1 return leg in Barcelona. Now in the, the, the first one, City are wearing all yellow in the, the home game. And Barcelona have changed to their yellow tops with the with a sash for their home tie. So Forest are in their traditional colours for that game. So both of them have an away top of yellow and... The the you know you sort of expect that to be for the the away games, don't you? But they've won won it for the for the home ties, which is I say it's unusual, but it may have not been back then. Page fourteen, we have an advert Umbro International, and the strap line is "They wear it, you can too," and it's Arsenal's Alan Sunderland, Man City's Tommy Caton, and the unusual thing about Tommy Caton. <laughs> I love this. It's a terrible picture. It's a terrible logo. It's like he's running away. He's 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 facing away. You can see the back of his head, and it's like, how many photographs must they have had to choose from? And this is the one they choose. Is that definitely Alan, Alan Sunderland? Yeah. Is it? I thought he'd curly hair. Oh, he did. He did. Yeah, he had a perm at one point, but yeah, I don't. (laughs) I don't. I don't think that's Alan Sunderland. Who do you think it is? I couldn't tell you, but I don't think it's Alan Sunderland. I'm, I'm willing to put some money on that. All right, okay. Oh. J- Jim, are you, are you saying it's Alan Sunderland? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's Alan Sunderland. Um, but again, so I think he knows something we don't. Five I'm pound, just, I'm just scanning the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's nothing that says it on there. Five pound for charity, boys. I right, go on. Yeah, Tom? All right, okay. All right. Okay, so... Alan Sunderland there, right, give me my fivers. <laughs> no, I, 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 I do think it is. So there's um, Tommy Caton, 
I'm assuming it's Tommy Caton, and you know, because yeah. you can't see his face, but you can Tommy see his, his perm. Um, it, it it does show off the the umbral sort of tram lines down the side of the, the down the side of the sleeve. Yeah. So it, it does show off that quite well, if not the actual player yeah, wearing the strip. Yeah, you could have maybe got him looking in this direction as well as that. So I, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't think that should that should have been the the defining factor there. So we've got Dave Johnson, Liverpool tussling, and I think that's Brian Robson. Are we agreeing on that? Oh no, it's number five, so it can't, can't be no, Brian Robson. No, it's no Brian Robson. Um, I don't know who that is then, the West Brom. Um, okay, and the, the other picture here is Johnny Doyle and Alex Miller, both in the same photograph there, with their umbro strips on as well. So, very colourful advert. It does also mention, the teams mentioned, the Scottish teams mentioned as having kits available, include Rangers, Scotland, Celtic, Clydebank, get in there. Hearts, Partick Thistle and St Mirren. I mean, I'm assuming those were all top league at the time, 1980. Yep. Aye, you would be, aye. Yeah. So, page 15, we'll jump on. So, John McMaster of all positions. So, a very cunning heading there. Um, John McMaster of Aberdeen is fast gaining a reputation for having the ability to play in almost any position in Aberdeen's lineup. He's moved around positions in the past few seasons and no one would be surprised to see him line up in goal one day. His latest switch is to left-back. Doug Rugby had a spell there but didn't make an impact, while Doug Considine then had a spell there in the same position as well but was more suited to a centre-back role. McMaster says, Yes, I suppose I have moved around quite a bit. I don't mind though. Let's face it, there are so many good players at Aberdeen that I'm just happy to be given the first-team role. Former manager Billy McNeil used even used McMaster in a wide role, but he eventually moved him moved into the transfer market to sign a natural outside left in the shape of Ian Scanlon from Notts County. McNeil played left footed McMaster in the right hand side of the midfield on the way to playing Rangers in the Scottish Cup final a few seasons ago. It took I find this interesting, it says it took a while for defenders to realise that this player who wore the number four shirt was in fact as left-footed as Malcolm McDonald, the England and ex-Arsenal and Newcastle United player. Those were the days where numbers meant something in terms <laughs> of positioning. So when Alex Ferguson became manager, he gave a young Alex McLeish a chance to become the midfield anchor man, and he was outstanding in the role. McMaster was then switched to the left side of midfield. Now comes another new position at left-back, Will he ever play in goal, the magazine asks. So McMaster says, if there was a crisis, then Steve Archibald would go between the sticks. I don't really see myself as a keeper anyway. Stevie is a brilliant keeper. One versatile star applauding another versatile star. That's football in the 80s, we suppose. Do you so. think he was really just sticking him in and just volunteering them? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Just in case, yeah. So, John McMaster, um, born February 1955 in Greenock. Two clubs he played for between 74 and 87. He was at Aberdeen, played 203 league games, scoring 20 goals. And then between 87 and 88, he went to Morton and played 29 league games there, two goals as well. In all competitions at Aberdeen, he played 316 times. 47 as substitute and scored 33 goals. He became assistant manager at Morton after retiring and was inducted into the Aberdeen Hall of Fame quite recently in 2017. Pages 16 and 17. This is My Soccer World by Gordon McQueen. 
and it's how Ipswich beat their crisis. So one of the sensations of the season just has to be the incredible change of fortune of Ipswich Town. So this is this is Gordon McQueen talking here, and he says, On October the 20th, 1979, Man United beat them 1-0 to send them to the bottom of the first division. Exposed at the back and weak up front, they had seven points from 12 games and looked dead certs for relegation. They were in crisis. Then on the second Saturday in December, Town walloped Man City 4-0 at Portman Road. It proved to be the turning point. The main reason Town overcame their bad spell was quite simple. The club is stable and has top-class players. Apparently, Bobby Robson filmed matches and then played them back, pointing out where his players were going wrong. They soon got the message. And he says, United videotape games which aren't televised. They're played constantly in the canteen, so players can watch while having a break during training. And it's I find it quite... Um, Quite interesting what he says there because it sounds like Man United don't actually sit down and analyse the videos with the game. They just play it, pipe it through. Yeah, it sounds like that. Because, I mean, the fact that he's even mentioning that Bobby Robson does this and sits down and points things out, it suggests that that's something they don't do. Which, you know, if you if they have the the facility to do that, I don't see why they would. But, you know, it was it was all new back then, I guess, doing this thing. So Gordon picks out Paul, Paul Marner as one of the best strikers around and says that Mariner brings out the best in him as he has to concentrate every minute and watch him like a hawk. McQueen points to the return to form of Ipswich's Dutch duo Franz Tyson and Arnie Muren as a factor in the remarkable recovery. And he says, I've also been impressed with the young Alan Brazil. His goals are usually spectacular efforts. He rarely scores from close range. Alan has a tremendous future in the game and is already a key figure in the Scotland under-21 side. It's hard to believe that Alan Brazil was ever under-21, is it? <laughs> um, two, two Scots rapidly establishing themselves as regular internationals in the full team are George Burley and John Walk. Now on Burley, he says, He is all class and composure and is one of the finest defenders in the country. And on John Walk, he says, He is strong and will fight for every ball, a real competitor. Now he also mentions two great central defenders in Russell Osman and Terry Butcher, um, one of the game's finest captains in Mick Mills. Um, I mean, just some of the names there. I mean, Ipswich Town had some fantastic players there. Then that season, they would go on to finish in third place behind Man United and league champions Liverpool. Now, we've had an update on the 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 Alan Sunderland um, thing as well, haven't we, Jim? Would you like to tell us who yeah, it is? It would appear it's uh, it's Brian Talbot. Seems to be what the hive mind of Twitter is saying. Okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm more than happy to pay my my fiver to charity, um, but I obviously will be looking for, you know, verification on this first. I um, think you know it's not Alan Sunderland, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, let's move on. <laughs> so let's move on to page eighteen and. Whenever we talk about, or whenever they talk about Peter Lorimer, you're going to hear Hot Shot in there. And that's what's the, the title. Hot Shot Lorimer still on target. So Peter Lorimer at this point is at York City. So it says, after a glittering career at Leeds, followed by a short spell in Toronto, Peter Lorimer is currently turning it on for 4th Division York City. And Lorimer says, team boss Charlie Wright, who I've known for a long time, asked me if I would help out. I said it would keep me trim, and that's how I arrived at Bootham 
Bootham Crescent. Lorimer admits to missing the pre-match build-up and he says, any player will tell you that once the game starts, then there's not a lot of difference. Obviously, there's not the same big noise, but once the game gets underway and there are three or four, or four thousand shouting or spurring you on, then you pick up the atmosphere. Manager Charlie Wright is very dedicated and works all hours. There's no assistance in the former scouting staff. He spends five nights a week watching matches, travelling all over the country, and they've still, got to, they've still got to be at the ground the following morning to train you. Now, Peter has dropped from striker to a midfield role, and he says, To be honest, I don't really know what to do once my playing days are over. I did have one or two ideas. I'm, I'm tempted to try my hand at management. I'd like to just see just how I would fare. I want to continue playing for as long as I can. When you talk to anybody who's gone into the management, they all say, I wish I was still playing. And the spoiler on the season, York City would finish that season at the very bottom of the fourth division. So not a great season for Peter Lorimer. So along with Tranmere, Hereford and Halifax, they all had to reapply for membership of the league. The Altrincham had won the Alliance Premier League um, and so they also applied as well and they were included in the election process. The votes cast ensured that all the existing league clubs remained in the fourth division while poor Altrincham were denied membership. So that's, I mean obviously that's changed for quite a while down in England the, with the, the pyramid system but that, it's just a horrible way to to do things isn't it? That You know, the, the clubs vote teams back in or not. You know, it's it's not a meritocracy by any means. So, it didn't have a great great season there, Peter Lorimer. So. He was sent off in his last game of the season as well, that season against Tranmere Rovers. Was he? Does it say why he was sent off? No, no. but he was sent off. Okay, do you, do you want to put a £5 bet? It was for... Um... <laughs> <laughs> nah, you said recoup your money, is this, that's what it is. Nah, I just want to lose more. So, page 19, we're on. It's the same, same page, but as Grimsby's success has surprised George Kerr. And it says, For three hours last month, third division leaders Grimsby Town were without a manager. George Kerr walked out, walked out as a gesture of defiance after Secretary David Douse had resigned over a pay dispute. Kerr was so incensed at the board's acceptance of Dow's decision that he tendered his own resignation. And Kerr says, I was bitterly disappointed because I believe David was one of the best young secretaries in the league, and I think we made a good team. Later, I realised it was wrong of me to have done that. I went too far in telling the board my feelings, so I apologised and ate humble pie. I indicated to the chairman, Dick Middleton, that as far as I was concerned, I was still manager, and he told me he was pleased. That's a turner. That's a right turnaround, that, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> I, I think he's game. He walked in the door and said to the wife, that's me, chuck the job. And then, I get back that uh, water. Get back up there. Oh, dear me. So thanks to thanks to Kerr's management, the club have reached the quarterfinals of the League Cup, along with a lucrative trip to Liverpool in the FA Cup third round. They're also now edging towards promotion. Uh, Kerr says, I don't think there's any doubt we are now a better club than we were six months ago. I proved myself as a manager. I did not expect the team to do so well after winning promotion last season. The interesting point about it is that the first time I was a manager, when I was boss at Lincoln, I flopped completely. I'll, I'll admit some of it was my fault. But the second time, it's gone from strength to strength. So George Kerr, born George Adams McDonald Kerr, 
a good Scottish name, um, in Alexandria, Western Bartonshire, um, born in January 1943. Now, his playing career, he played for Barnsley from 61 to 65. He was a forward, and he scored 40 goals in 166 league appearances. Uh, he moved to Barnsley, and then on to Oxford, and then spent 157 league games at Scunthorpe United. He also had um, the managerial career, as we've talked about, Lincoln City and Grimsby Town. So he was at Grimsby for another couple of years. In 1982, he moved to Rotherham, back to Lincoln City, and finished at Boston United. And he's currently an expert summariser with Radio Humberside. So good Scottish lad there. So page 23 we're moving on to, and it's Tartan Talk. And this one is Derek Johnson this week. Now Derek says, my reaction to the amazing Kevin Keegan transfer deal to Southampton recently can be summed up in one phrase. I could hardly believe it. British soccer needs boosts like that. George Best's shock sacking by Hibs did nothing to enhance the game. What a waste of talent. That's a bit of a, an opening there from, from Derek. Um, but um, the, uh, certainly the, the George Best thing probably wasn't a, a great thing for football at the time, was it? Uh, Derek wonders if Keegan's decision to return from Germany will make young players think twice about seeking out a future abroad and mentions Liam Brady as someone who appears uncertain about a move. He also mentions that he would like to sample football in the States at some point in the future. Uh, now Johnson asked for a transfer at Rangers two years previously but he was glad it came to nothing and says that he's happy at Ibrox. Talking about manager John Gregg, Johnson says... Mr. Gregg knows the right thing to say when you're feeling down and when your confidence is gone. He's a very patient man and I believe Rangers are extremely lucky to have had such a marvellous individual both as a player and a manager. Johnston recalls a pre-season tournament at Ibrox where Rangers hammered Laurie McMenemy's Southampton 4-1. McMenemy proved he was a big man in every sense of the word. He was the first into the dugout to congratulate Gregg after the final whistle. So we're on page, we're going to jump a few pages to 28 and 29. You can stop me at any point if you want to um, pick anything out. But we're going to look at the lineups, results and scorers. So in, in these ones, there's a few League of Ireland and Irish League results. Um, and I just want to pick a few of these out because there's, there's a few high scoring ones. So Saturday 29th of December and Sunday the 30th of December. In the Irish League, we had Ballymena United 5, Linfield 0. Colerain 5, Crusaders 1, and Portadown 3, Ards 0. And in the League of Ireland, we had Athlone Town 6, UCD 0, the University College Dublin, St Pat's 1, Bohemians 4, which they won't like that, Shamrock Rovers 6, Cork United 0, Meanwhile 1, Scotland, St Mirren Drew 2-2 with Morton in front of just under 9,000 fans. Goals from Sumner, Two, two goals from Sumner for St Mirren and Richie and Roddy Hutchison for Morton. I think you, you tend, maybe not so much these days, but you tend to, to find, for probably for pretty obvious reasons, there were a lot of high-scoring games over Christmas and New Year. Um, just just having a wee look at that Shamrock Rovers team, there's a Celtic legend playing that game. Which one? By the name of O'Leary. Oh, yeah. The un, the unbelievably one-footed and completely useless piece of wardrobe, <laughs> <laughs> Pierce O'Leary. Okay, so when you said legend, you were... You were oh, I, I, it won't matter now, but my old uh, 
the last place I worked in um, had a fairly wide. You could go quite wide with your your um, would you call it your passwords? Yeah. And uh, my passwords were always Celtic duds. <laughs> so trust me, O'Leary Five was absolutely one of my passwords. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was dreadful. Mm. Uh, just objected there. I thought I'm sure he, could, we, he was at Shamrock Rovers, and we got him from. You know, America, Canada, or somewhere. Yeah, Vancouver, I think it was that. Brutal, absolutely brutal. I've just noticed another one. So on the which date? We on well the first of January. So a few days later, I'm guessing Irish League, Linfield have then won seven nil against <laughs> Banger. So I mean, it's I think they they got they got battered the first game, didn't they? And then they've come back. Um, yeah, they, they certainly. Results why I mean there was that famous um still of the the results from the English league one one day and I'm sure that was um, New Year or something and it was like seven eight and five. Uh, that's right. Like that. so I think it was good. Boxing Day. Yeah. yeah. Is it no Boxing Day? I think it was <laughs> kind of the implication yeah. was that a good dinner had been had by uh, one and all. A good glass of dinner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So page thirty four. I'm going to jump onto. Um, I don't want to miss anything that you want to. Um, have, we, have we got to your bit yet, Jim, or is, have we bypassed that, or is it still? To come no, up? no, no. We bypassed it a while back. Well, let's, let's, let's go back to it then. Um, uh, which page were we on? We're on. It was page. There he is. There, Steve Earl football programs on page uh, eight. Go on, talk to us about Steve Earl. I'll talk to you about Steve because what I got was I've just realised I got the sent two pounds for a programme collector's outfit containing the following selection of programmes mm-hmm. membership card, programme folder, pocket football calendar, programme pad open bracket for notes close brackets programme collector's pen bonus token value 10 pence <laughs> Collector's mug mat, sticky badge and window strip, and a programme marker, and receive free the 1978 ITV World Cup brochure, worth 50 pence. Now, I sent away for that thinking, right, I'm having some of this, thought we'll see some great programmes, and it literally was York City versus Torquay, it was, I, I remember at the time being absolutely fuming <laughs> when it came through because it was all the shoddiest of stuff. Yeah. The absolute shoddiest of stuff. But uh, again, you'll notice here there's no phone numbers in the advert. Yeah. It's a it's a department SH and oh no, there was iPhone. iPhone yeah, yeah. for inquiries only. <laughs> no but, for complaints. Oh, I wish I'd known back then what I know now. <laughs> oh, uh, Steve Earl. I mean, oh, I'm not happy with him. I mean, I, I've never really collected, I say never really collected programmes, I've never collected programmes, but back then I did collect stamps for a little bit. So I had the same sort of thing where you would send away and you'd get this big pack, this big envelope full of, you know, just stamps. They would still be on the paper and stuff and you had to take them off. 
But um, I think it seems as though I, I, I got a bit luckier with the content than, than you did. Um, just Stanley look, Gibbons, wasn't it? Stanley was Gibbons. It Stanley Gibbons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, there was that a was Stamp it, yeah. Club as well, which was Ghoul, I think. <laughs> Something was in Ghoul. I don't know if that was the Stamp Bug Club or the Stanley Gibbons. But it's just strange how places and na- names stick out with you and that's how you remember them. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd mentioned Steve L. We have spoke about it before and... With up until a few years ago, he'd been trying to get rid. I can say get rid of probably just sell his collection, and there was over a million programs. I think over like three floors of a warehouse. So um, it sounds as though he probably could afford it to to give you a few um, better ones. Tom. Well, he's he's still on his his website. He says he's still looking to semi retire, and he's still looking for people to buy his programs. But you get one free program, our choice. <laughs> oh, I bet it is. <laughs> Northwich Victoria versus Padium, probably. Is there a phone number, Tom? I think. I think. <laughs> is you on Twitter? <laughs> oh, that'll be the end of <laughs> so, Just a profile, just a, a, a postal address. So, how long when you was this a start? Was that the end of your programming uh, collecting? Or it was. I think it was just one of those. You know that wee daft wee thing you get through. You get through phases. Mm. Um, I think I'm trying to think because I, I bought. I didn't buy programs every time I went to Celtic. Yeah. I think it was just one of those things that because I got shoot every week, you know, and I think it was just one of those things that maybe got birthday money or Christmas money or something. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'll have a go at this and see what I can get. Mm. And as I say, I got York City versus, you know, and it was those really shady programs, you know, no shiny paper. It was like the, it was like, what was that machine they used to do them on? You know, the real oh, the, dodgy old printers. With the thing like with the, the carbon paper? That you Aye, can, uh... pretty much. It was kind of that kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, you were yeah. like that. Oh, you've seen me coming, mate. You've absolutely <laughs> seen me coming. Okay, let, let's let's pop back into the, the magazine here. So we're on page 34. And the title for this one is Fans Should Give Rennie a Break. So this is about Stuart Rennie, the goalkeeper at Air United. And it starts off by saying, Liverpool superstar Kenny Dalglish. Now that's a great way to open any article, isn't it? Like talking about Liverpool superstar Kenny Dalglish and then not mention him again until the end of it. Um, But he says he was an ardent admirer of goalkeeper Stuart Rennie when he was a Celtic player and his opponent guarded Motherwell's interests. Kenny has gone on to a 440,000 move to Liverpool, while Rennie has been used as part of a £100,000 deal to take Air United's shoe Sprout to Motherwell. Rennie hasn't found it easy to replace Sprout, known as the clown because of his mind-boggling antics between the sticks. Now Rennie says, I realise I'm not a showman like Sprout, but I feel I have been going, I've been going well recently. However, I have to admit that I get depressed because I haven't won over the fans. They're extremely difficult to please. Uh, Air United's manager, Willie McLean, who was also his manager at Motherwell, has great faith in his keeper. And he says, He does a good job for the club. He's a thorough professional and a good team man. He works hard at his game. Now, he actually works out at Wraith Rovers as he lives in Edinburgh. And Shoot says, We will never really know how good he might have been had he gone full time. So that's, again, there's... Um, there's form to this so there was um, asking about how Alan Ruff you know if, if he moved down to England and went full time just you know what sort of keeper he could have become and the same here with this but I don't think 
we'll ever really know. Um, but it's a bit sad, this one. You know, saying that he is a bit depressed um, because he hasn't won over the fans. Um, I don't know if that's maybe just a saying that he's saying or if he genuinely feels, you know, down by it. Um, but Hugh Sprott, I think um, you've 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 spoke, spoke about him before, I think, haven't you, um, Jim, about the fact that... Was it Hugh Sprott that used to... Am I thinking of someone else who used to wear the different colours? He was, a, he was a goalkeeper that started it, and a lot of them do it now, the way the green goalkeeper's jersey against Rangers and the blue one against Celtic. That's the one. Yeah. He, he was the first He was the first to start that. Because I noticed the other day there, I was watching one of the great stanchion goals where Murdo McLeod scored against Motherwell and it lodged it, it stayed in the stanchion. <laughs> and then Nicky Walker knocking the ball out, yeah. annoyed, you know, annoyedly knocking the ball out and he was wearing the blue top. Yeah. You know, and that was a kind of standard, standard practice after Hugh Sproat did it where he said they always... He always wore the, wore the different colour, you know. Just think, they're just funny you saying that. It's like, just think of the generations who will never know a stanchion goal. I know. That's so I know. sad. Is it San Etienne always say that had the goals at Hampden had yep. tubular, if the tubular goalposts, they would have won the European Cup instead of the the block. Square posts. Yeah, uh, square posts. So Etienne blame the blame the Hamden goals for the fact that Bayern Munich beat them in seventy six. Yeah, the the posts are in the San Etienne uh, museum now. Are they? Yeah, oh, that's I brilliant. believe so. Yeah. Okay, so on to pages thirty six and thirty seven. This is a this is a brilliant advert. Um, I mean, sometimes you get adverts that you could put on a t shirt, and you know this is this is there was actually not. So this is about for milk, and it's a it's a Liverpool. Um, players and it says no drink can beat it milk is supreme and it's Phil Neal and he's turning round I mean it's taken from action from an actual game but he's turning round facing the, the camera with his fist you know his arm raised ahead and there's um, Kenny Douglas is there and a few other players in there they've all got their backs and it's just it's brilliant so this this was um, inset in the same photo is another photo of the Liverpool players in the dressing room uh, Phil Neal is spread out in the massage table with a glass of milk. The other players there are Terry McDermott, uh, Dave Johnson and Alan Hansen, and they're all sat down with a glass of milk in their hands as well. Now, the text underneath that sort of reads, milk is more than just a drink. It's liquid food. You can't beat the magic portion. So, if you if you remember, there was a big campaign back in the late 70s, early 80s by the Milk Marketing Board. Included this was um, the famous... Advert, do you know which one I'm talking about? But the Accrington, Accrington Stanley, who were they? That was that was for milk, wasn't it? Was it? Aye. Yeah. God, I remember. I remember the Accrington Stanley, but I couldn't yeah. tell you anything else about the advert. Yeah. So the, the, there's another one. There's, there's a there's a team photo in a in a in a later magazine of again Liverpool, and they're all wearing these really retro. Well, at the time they wouldn't have been retro. They would have been, you know, but. Now you look at them and you think they're really retro T-shirts, but they're all milk-based and they're all standing there, sitting there, standing there, drinking milk and things like that. And it's just like, again, that could go on a T-shirt. I'd absolutely love that. So we're at page 45. So I'm, I'm jumping a few more as well. Um, see, just before we, we jump, yep. see that picture, of, that picture of Kevin Keegan? Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that's photoshopped? I'm, I'm just going off that... Uh, that strip, 
the old style Southampton strip. I'm not sure Keegan actually played like a match in that strip. So I was just looking at your your expert photoshopping skill, <laughs> Andy, to have a look to see if, if is that his head pasted so onto page, another page forty, yeah. Yeah, is yeah. that his head pasted onto another Southampton player's body? I think you're right. I think you might be right. Yeah, it, it looks it looks slightly smaller than the neck or the area. I think. I mean, it's, to be honest, it's it's a fair it's a fair attempt for the for the times. Um, I'd, I'd I'd have to get it. I'd I'd have to get it scanned, and as soon as I scan it, and it becomes obvious. You know, it's a strange thing, and you you know this, Jim. Looking at the you know the old cards and stuff, and it's like when you collect them, you just you just take for granted that what's on it is is real, you know, and, and it's like then when I've scanned them and looked at them bigger, it's like what the hell they try to do this? That's that's been painted. That's um, you know, um, Paul Wilson's head on or Sugar Wilson's head on Paul Wilson, and it makes him look like he's all hunched up and stuff. But as a wee uh, boy, you just never notice these things. I think you're right enough about the shoot thing because of the Southampton thing because I've just looked on. The Southampton strip that Keegan wore was the, it was a bold red and then the white down the, the white middle. It yeah, wasn't striped yeah, yeah. like that. It was only one, it was two red panels and a the big white panel in the middle. Mm. Aye, I think it's a Photoshop. Yeah, I don't think he'd played a game at this point. His transfer would have been announced at that point, but he wouldn't have actually played a competitive game possibly at that time. I mean, I'm just, because if you look at the, I mean, it's well done. Because if you look at the top of the hair, it, it doesn't seem to be you know a, a def you know a defined line. It sort of looks as though that's part of it. So whether they've they've blended it in or not, I'll get back to you in that Tom, and I'll All right. I'll give you my expert opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good to be expert in something, even if it is just about photoshops and and shoot magazines. <laughs> so we're on to page forty-five, um, and. This, these articles here, lots of small ones, but they're they're sort of um, international ones. But the one I'm going to pick out, obviously, is Black Watch show Scotland how it's done. So this one's got two, two photographs with it, two, and it's um, two team photographs, and it says Scotland haven't made a convincing away win for years, but ten Scots of the Black Watch showed Jockstein's men how to win in foreign soil. The game was between the Black Watch and a team of guerrillas from Robert Mugabe's patriotic front, the PF. The other player in the Scottish team was an Australian goalkeeper. And the Scots won 4-0, but it was a peaceful affair, which was just as well as there were 641 PF supporters on the touchline armed with AK assault rifles, grenades and rocket launchers. It's no just like Ayrshire, Ayrshire Junior Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've played them worse. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just love the photo. I was looking to see. I mean, it's the Black Watch boys are all, um, apart from one, I think they're all pretty much, no, it's two, they're topless, which is never a good thing for a for a Scotsman to be, you know, showing that much of their body to the sun. Um, but 4 0, well done. Now, going to go to the, the last page here, the back of the page, and oh, look at that. Focus on Diego Maradona. I mean, he just glorious in this one I think we, do we think this is from the Scotland game Aye, I think it looks like it to me yeah it's, it's got that that look to it um, now 
I'm going to pick out, there's three things I've picked out from from his um, answers. One of them's an absolute belter. Um, so his mis- miscellaneous dislikes is injustice. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's brilliant. His personal ambition is to be the number one footballer in the world. So he's realised that. And the person most like to meet, Farrah Fawcett. She's popped up before in, in some of these things. Aye, aye. So, Diego, Diego Maradona is just, yeah. Uh, there's another one, favourite food, oven roasted <laughs> meat. Oven roasted meat. <laughs> 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 yeah, anything in particular? No, just bring me meat. I don't know what accent that was, but... Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it's all right, mate. Like I said, I've got to make an effort, you know. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Dangerously close to casual racism. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'll edit it out, don't you worry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, listen, back here, he looks fresh, he looks young, and, you know, obviously a lot of things went for him and a lot of things went against him, but t- between him and Messi for the, the greatest footballer of all time for me, um, and that, it's, it's a crazy, it's a, it's a really difficult thing, but Maradona did it in different times. When it was rougher play, you know the the pitches wouldn't have been as good either. Gun gun to my head, I would probably go with Maradona. Any any thoughts on that, boys? I think if Maradona had played now with the pitches, with the protection they get for referees, as opposed to what he was playing with, I I think. And also, I wonder if I wonder if the clubs would have looked after him better because I think yeah. one thing now is that I think clubs have got a better handle on the mental health yeah. type of thing and I, I don't think it takes a, a you know you don't need a psychology degree to work out that that was a trouble boy mm-hmm. you know um, and I wonder if maybe a, another generation you know arguably as we've said you know I'm sure people have said the same thing about Gaza Gaza's born maybe five years later on then Maybe his career goes completely differently, and I wonder if Maradona would have got even better yeah. if he had just been another generation later. You know. Mm. Yeah. So, so what if? So, I mean, I'm always loath to compare footballers and teams with different generations because I think it's just a, a thankless task. You, can, you know, it's difficult to compare them when they're, you know, five, ten years apart. Never mind that. Um, but. Yeah, Maradona. Listen, there's um, so one of the one of the things we do here is we, we team up with a, a charity partner for each season on the podcast, and the one that we're teamed up with at the moment is called Back On Site, which you may have heard of, Jim. Um, they're on Twitter and they have a website and things, but they basically help uh, people with um, mental issues. And I'm just going to read a little bit about what they do. So here in the UK. One in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. And here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So they, they do great work. They, they do need funding. They do need support. They do need help as well. So 
for, for people listening out there, you know, I, I keep saying it, go follow them on Twitter, um, give them your support, you know, help them if you can, donate to them if you can as well. And what we try and do on here is um, we have a donate button on the website and for each pound that you donate, it basically gives you a virtual raffle ticket and the raffle ticket puts you into a draw um, and for the draw for each show that we do, we will put in the original magazine that we've been talking about. We'll throw in some some other goodies that we, we get as well. Um, and maybe maybe you can throw in some free tickets to your, your next gig in the O2 or something like that, Jim. <laughs> aye, aye. Correct, aye. That's fine. Yeah. There's O2 a shed out the back of somebody's back garden, is it? Yeah, it's a wee, it's a wee pub up, um, up <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, seriously, what we do, is, so for every pound that you donate, you get that virtual ticket, and then we do the draw, and fifty percent of that goes to the podcast to to help run it, and fifty percent goes to back on site. So, um, please do support them, even if you don't do that donate thing, go onto their side and donate if you can, or even if it's just retweeting things or. You know, just giving support to people who need it at the time, and especially at this moment in time as well. I think you know, there's going to be a lot of people really struggling who, you know, probably struggle at the best of times. So we need to keep on top of that. Um, and something else. So the other thing we'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues and the music for the show. And you can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of his upcoming gigs whenever they start happening again and new music. And lastly, we'd like to thank a producer, Diane Jarden, for her great work as always and support on the podcast. Uh, please check out www.transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. So, so what's next for yourself, Jim? What's what's happening? Um, what, what's sort of I, I want to call them projects, but what what are you doing? Um, I think everything at the moment. I'm going to start. I've started a wee bit of writing for for because um, it's one of these things you've you've got to be keeping material going, doing a wee bit of writing for for when this all lifts. But yeah. the truth is, at the moment, everything's just. It's just a wait and see at the moment, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I've kind of made a vow to myself that one thing um, when I do go back is I'm going to go along the lines of let us never speak of this again. <laughs> I am not having that coronavirus. Eh? What about that then? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. No, we're not be doing that. I'm, mm. I'm going to try and make my... It's absolutely coronavirus-free, yeah. but... It's it's going to be hard. That's ninety percent of comedy you're going to hear for the next year. Is going to be yeah, isolation chat. You know. So the, tell tell us about this. Um, the so this it seems to be a yearly walk that you do now. Aye, that was another thing. That was another gutting thing that 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 was um, again through Twitter. I got to know um, a few of the the Wigan lads, and and actually goes back a wee bit further than that because. Mm. One of my mates, Chris, um, writes for the United We Stand fanzine. And he used to come out to Barcelona to visit pretty much every couple of times a year. And he used to bring me fanzines. Mm -hmm. And the actual, the Mud Hutter fanzine, the the Wigan fanzine was was one of the best out there. And I kind of got to know them. And then through Twitter, I got to know them a bit better. And I went to watch FC United for a while. And there was a lot of kind of crossover there. Yeah. 
some of the Wigan lads used to go there and there was a kind of wee subculture, like the, the fanzine guys and, and whatever. And then um, they, they've got their, their own kind of pet charity, which is a lovely wee boys, Joe McKendrick. And um, every year they do, a, or for the last three years, the plan has been a game at the end of the season. They walk from Wigan to where it, wherever the game is. Hmm. Now, last, the year before, it was to Fleetwood when they went, got promotion. It was a great day. Um, it was a great three days. Yeah. I've never let, I've, I, these are not, there's a lot of stories that none of them are for broadcast, incidentally. <laughs> um, and then the second was, we, we walked from uh, Wigan to Leeds yeah. and they beat Leeds 1-0. Right. Uh, which was a mental, thing. and then this year was meant to be Barnsley. But obviously that's gone by the wayside. But the plan is, again, just as soon as the, as soon as life returns to something bordering on normality, yeah. the, the plan is to, to get it done again and, and, and get a walk to a, mm. hopefully a ground to, to to raise some money. But it's a it's a brilliant wee charity. Brilliant. Well listen, what what we do for each show is we, we, we do have a, a separate web page for each show that contains all the, the stuff that we spoke about, the you know, it contains links to videos and things like that as well. So what what I'll do is I'll I'll get a link to any, you know, support page of that for this that people can donate and we'll put it on there as well when we do it. Oh lovely, thank you. So brilliant. anything else going on? No, not a lot. As I say at the moment, um like everybody else, it's just a matter of keeping the head down. I'm quite fortunate in that what I do I can do remotely and, and through technology we can I can do my job not inverted commas normally. Um but yeah. I'm kinda very conscious of the fact that I'm I'm very fortunate that way because, you know, um, I'm already starting to hear stories of a friend yeah. who was meant to get paid yesterday and then found out their company had gone into liquidation mm. without yeah. a word of warning, you know, and, and there's going to be a lot of stories like that over the next month or so. So I, I, I'm yeah. counting, basically I'm just counting my counting my blessings that, that um, and just hoping that everybody gets, gets through the other side of this mm. in, in the best condition that they can, you know. Both mentally and physically, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm already I'm seeing some people who are, you know, posting and saying, "Oh, this this is a doddo and things like that." And it's like, don't, don't. No. You know, don't. If it is, then keep it to yourself. Aye. People don't want Aye. to know that they're struggling. So, yeah, absolutely. Tom, what's going on yes, with yourself? What's going on with myself? Much the same as the last last time I spoke to you. No. Okay. Right, keep keep up the good work then. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> okay, j- good to have your support. Okay, as always, Jim. Thank you very much for for joining us. It's been a, it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you. I think this is the first time I've actually spoke, and it, you know, it's, I think twenty twelve is probably when I started my Twitter, and that's when we started following each other. So, oh, we bonded over Frank Coppell. <laughs> Listen, we could have had an entire podcast about that on its own. (laughs) (laughs) The Frank Capel in uh, Scotland-Argentina show, we could call it. No, listen, thank you. It's been absolutely brilliant. A a genuine pleasure, Andy. A genuine pleasure. Thanks very much, Tom. Thank you. And um, so thank you for everybody who's listening. Um, As I always say, please share it. Um, Listen, download, you know, let people know about it get involved on the website, add comments on Twitter, all that as well. Follow the Shoot the Breeze pod. I keep forgetting what the the Twitter account for it is. Um, You'll find it. You'll find it. So thank you to Tom for being Tom 
as always. Thank you, Andy. And thank you, Jim. Cheers, lads. And from me, thank you. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Yeah.